So when you're researching for marriage while you're writing your sermon, you come across things like this. Dear Abby, I told myself I didn't want a grilled cheese when he was making one, and now I want a grilled cheese. What should I do? Uh, how about this one? Uh, I've reached a point in my marriage that my husband fell asleep on the couch, and oh wow, I'm so excited because now I get the bed all to myself. <laughs> okay. Don't marry someone before you see them step on a Lego. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> Uh, still waiting for my husband to apologize for what he did in my dream last night. <laughs> These are all tweets on uh, the Twitter program. Um, marry your true love so you can always wake up together and say, breathe the other way. <laughs> uh, wife trying to open up a can of tuna. Our can opener is broken. Me. So it's a can't opener. My wife, I can't believe I married you. <laughs> that's not about me. That's just a story. I opened the dishwasher. Oh, everyone can relate to this one. Not me. I can't relate to this one. But maybe you can, probably. I opened the dishwasher, and it's full of clean dishes. And now I have anxiety that my wife is going to know that I know. <laughs> Let it fall. Hey, here's a, a myth that I want to bust real quick before we get into this sermon. There is this thing, and I, I don't know where it came from, I don't know what it means, or like, like where it originated, but it is this popular thought in America, I don't know if it's everywhere else, but uh, in marriages that's dangerous. And it's the myth of having a soulmate. Now, it's cute, okay? You, you, know, you, you probably posted last night on Twitter a, a picture of your spouse sleeping on the couch, cuddled up with your favorite animal, um, which might be your kid, I don't know. But, uh, and you said, oh, I'm so thankful that God gave me my soulmate uh, and so proud to do life. Hashtag this is marriage with a D. And hashtag contenders. Remember, we want your marriage advice. Uh, we want to see what you're doing to make your marriage work. So on social media, if you do hashtag contenders, uh, the rest of us can follow along with you and see how you, you're doing what you do. But here's what's, here's what's incredibly dangerous about the idea of us starting to think about our spouse as a soulmate. If you had, uh, well, one, it's just kind of illogical, so I'm not calling you stupid, but like of all the billions of people in the world that God created the one person for you and put them, uh, you know, at the grocery store at the same time. So when you dropped your can of green beans, they picked it up for you, you know, like I, I don't think that's how it works. Actually, here's how I think marriage works. I think marriage is two imperfect people, two sinners. The Bible says that we've all sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. There is no perfection in my marriage, except for my wife. But I'm in, I bring the imperfection, you know what I'm saying? So there's neither one of you, your husband or your wife, are perfect. And so that's what makes marriage beautiful. Because it's two people who decide to dig in and say, you're imperfect, and I'm imperfect, and every now and then we're going to point out those imperfections in each other. And, but we desperately, you and I both desperately need Jesus to make this thing work. And if you have a marriage like I do, you know that to be true. Actually, let me say this. If you're a person that is married like I am, you know that to be true even in yourself. So let me ask you about this. For all of our married people, if you're not married, stick with us. Hang out, okay? Because these are some really good principles for when you do get married, if you want to get married. Um, I, I think these are just some good principles in life in general. So stick with us. But uh, here's, here's what I want to ask you. If you're following me on this premise that there's no perfect marriage, that there's no perfect people in a marriage, then you can't have a perfect marriage. So what happens when sin enters your marriage? 
What happens when your sinful nature comes out? When you have done something or your spouse has done something to hurt your marriage or each other, what happens? What happens typically is our fight or flight instincts kick in. You know what I mean? And either you flight, you run away, which that's, you'll never get anything done in your marriage if you run away. But if our immediate instinct is just to fight, sometimes that's not healthy either. And so this morning, I'd like to spend some time talking about what happens when sin enters your marriage. How will you and your spouse, or let's just call it your team, how will you and your team move through this? And we're actually going to call this circle here our Better Together Circle. How do we get through this better together? Um, And I hope that this circle here Uh, can be repeated in your marriage uh, all the time. Before we get into, um, before we get into the the marriage, or the circle, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Contenders, The Fight for Us. And the reason that we have this, this mentality is because too often spouses fight against each other. And we often fight to win. Uh, But really what we need to think about is that we are on the same team. So uh, my last name is Burns, so uh, we're, you know, as corny as it can be, team, Team Burns. And here's the idea, that if Satan enters into our marriage through sin, through our sinful nature, it's not just up to me to overcome it on my own. I got a teammate, and we're going to fight this sin together. Okay, And so if we can have this mindset that we are on a team, that we're going to get through this better together, then we have, uh, then we have a chance. Um, we have a chance to do this uh, as, as a team. And so this morning, we're going to look at how to create a culture of honesty in our homes. Here's what you need to remember and what I'd like for you to repeat after me is that circles are better than squares. Ready? One, two, three. Circles are better than squares. Here's why. In a circle, you can't hide anything. In a square, there are corners. And in a square, you can hide things in those corners. Would you commit to having a circle marriage and not a square? Would you commit right now that no matter what it takes, that you're going to create a culture of honesty in your home? And it might take some difficult conversations. We'll talk about them in a second. But would you commit to having a circle uh, and and not a square in your marriage? So here's how we're going to talk about this this morning. Uh, We're going to talk first about, uh, right here, clear confession. Oh, that's hard. We'll get there in a second. But for us to get through all of this better together, clear confession is going to move uh, to radical forgiveness. And then there's this little bitty line. It's going to move us to compassionate grace. From compassionate grace, we're going to move to a fused faith. And this graphic is sweet. Doesn't that look good? You don't know who creates our graphics, but can you clap for that person? They're in here. Yeah. Yeah. They rock. They're so good. And they deal with me, who never meets a deadline on getting my sermon. And I call them make up silly excuses. Uh, I don't make them up. They're true. So we're good. All right, anyway. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's, work, uh, let's work through this together. The first one, let's talk about clear, clear confession. Clear confession. Here's what James says. James chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 16. It says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed of that spiritual sickness. You know, the prayer of a righteous person, and the King James would have said, availeth much. The, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. I wonder the last time I bet I t- if we took a poll, 90% of couples in here, including my, my own family, we don't practice this often. Confess your sin to each other, but not so that uh, you can hold it above their head, right? Um, maybe you do, but, may- but it's not for that. 
but it's so that you can pray for each other, right? So that you can overcome. And the prayer, prayer of righteous people are powerful and effective. And so, for there to be steps to get past sin. So, look, we're not talking about tragedy in your life. That happens. And you need to stick together and, and, and dig in when tragedy enters your life. But what we're talking about is when sin enters your marriage. There has to be a moment where you throw it all on the table. Where you say there are no squares. And when we talk about this, uh, when we're talking about this confession, um, there has to be a clear confession of sin. Uh, we don't, it doesn't always have to be this huge, like, earth-shattering sin. It can be. Maybe it's adultery in your marriage. Or, or, or that you've been secretly looking at pornography and your spouse doesn't know. Or that you've, you've really been staying, lingering at work a little longer because you're getting a little bit more attention. Like these are circle conversations that need to happen. But it's also greed and pride. And, um, and you know what? I, I've just been a little bit selfish lately. Let's throw it all on the table. The reason that we call it clear is because uh, it's got to be clear. There are no half-truths. Half-truths are known as lies. Um, before we move on, i got to tell you about uh, this shed we built. We built a shed for a lady. We met her. Her name is Mama Gary. Uh, she cooks for us, and it's so good. I can't tell you all about it because that's all we'll talk about, and then you'll be hungry and leave early. Like it's, It was more than hot dogs and hamburgers. It was like country cooking. And so uh, she cooked for us once, and the next time after we built, she invited us back to her restaurant and said, I'd like to cook for you here. And it was like fried chicken, cornbread. Oh, man, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. So anyway, she's touring us through this facility, and she says, this is where we turn over church also. She brings us in. She shows us all her instruments. She said, uh, do any of you play any instruments? And a few of the people say, yeah. Um, you know, th this person can play a few instruments, this person can sing, and then one of our people step up and say, the instrument I'd really like to learn is a tambourine. <laughs> and I cringed. And she said, well, why don't you play a tambourine? They said, well, Roger won't let us bring a tambourine into <laughs> our church. And the pastor looked at me, <laughs> The pastor looked at me and said, oh, baby, you ain't got no church if you ain't got no tambourine. <laughs> so then she takes this person and gives them a tambourine. So last week, this said person brings the tambourine to church just, just to get at me. Well, that tambourine went missing. I was confronted about this tambourine. And they said, do you have my tambourine? Now, let's just put it out here. The tambourine in my, was in my car at the moment. Does it look like I have your tambourine? Does it look like I have it? Okay, see, you see what I'm saying about these half-truths. Then they said, do, uh, did you steal my tambourine? I do not have your tambourine. Okay, it was this big old thing about how a tambourine was never going to be on our stage. <laughs> but uh, let me tell you what happened. Hold on, let me, let me tell you what happened. So, so, hold on, hold on. Let me tell you about this. So, I saw it last week. I saw it last week. The youth group picketed my house. Y'all have the dopest youth group in Jacksonville. Because I look, I'm... I was in the office, and I hear uh, this circle marching around my yard going, release the tambourine, release the tambourine. And they came in my house, and the tambourine was sitting out, and so they stole it back, and so they didn't know that I had this. So the tambourine got on the stage. We can tell Mama Gary we can put the rest and go put this with the rest of the toys where it belongs. 
So there are such things as half-truths, and half-truths are known as lies. Look, that, that pertains to your marriage. And if you're going to have a circle, if you're going to have a circle of confession, a, a home of honesty, there are no squares. There are no corners. There are no half-truths. It's got to be clear and full confession. And so, uh, friends, spouses, uh, two of the most powerful words in your marriage vocabulary have got to be, I'm sorry. And that's it. I'm sorry. It's a moment for you to take responsibility and, and for your team to get better. A team will never get better if the players just make excuses And so if your team is going to get better, you've got to take responsibility for your part of the imperfect marriage you're involved in. And that's both of you. And then you need to acknowledge the need for Jesus in your marriage. Hey, I want to show you this circle again. I don't think I have it as the next slide, but it might be. These lines right here, we did this on purpose. Uh, These lines represent work that has to be done. So we talk about clear confession leading to a radical forgiveness, right? Well, this line is long because there's a lot of work that needs to go into this. And so both both of you need to just say, like, we're willing to put in the work for this to happen. And so for us to get from clear confession to radical forgiveness, uh, it's going to take the first uh, line of work is, is time. Sometimes it takes time. We can't expect to confess and for our spouse to just say, you're forgiven. Especially when it hurts them. For us to do that and expect forgiveness immediately is prideful. Um, and so you've got you to give time. When Aaron and I first got married, uh, you've got to learn how each other fight. Okay, so if you're married, you just got to figure that out, especially if you're newly married. And uh, when we were newlyweds, when we would fight, I want to stand here and have it out. Like, let's do this. And Aaron's like, you don't want that. <laughs> and so, but what I found out is she's like, I don't want to do this. I, I need time. I need space. Give me time. And then she would come back ready to argue. And I'm like, oh, I don't care anymore. Like, I'm over it. But you need time, especially if it's deep. Uh, you need space Sometimes. Sometimes you need space from each other. Sometimes you need space from the issue. Um, But you need to grant these things to your partner, uh, to your spouse, your husband or wife, um, when you have this moment of confession. Here's probably the next two most important things is uh, the third one is you got to talk about it at some point. So maybe you're the person who says, hey, I need time before we really talk about this. You need to give me space. Sometimes, depending on how deep the hurt is, that space might be a physical space. Um, but the, the goal is always reconciliation. Always. Has to be. And so, um, but to give time and space, and that's it, um, yeah, that's called separation. Right? At some point, you've got to talk about it. And so, this is where let's get it all on the table. And then the last thing is, let's put a plan together so this doesn't happen again. Now, again, you can think of these huge monumental sins, and they might be a part of your marriage that you're trying to overcome right now. But maybe you're in a marriage that you don't have anything huge, monumental that you're working through. This is every sin, right? And so you sin, right? You don't? Cool. Uh, Sermon over. We'll see you in heaven, all right? Uh, you do, and so this is, this is really important. And so uh, clear confession uh, then leads to our next step, uh, which is radical, radical forgiveness. You following with me? You guys here? Um, awesome. Here's what happens. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he comes up to, to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, uh, and it says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times, that's a lot. I mean, think about someone who just hurts you seven times. That, that's a big deal, right? 
What's Jesus say? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or, or maybe your Bible might say seven times seven. Or it doesn't matter. I don't think Jesus is wanting, I think the idea is that Jesus doesn't want you to do the math. A follower of Jesus has, has a habit of forgiving. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Forgiveness isn't easy. But in a marriage, it's necessary. Otherwise, it turns into bitterness. And while, we, while we, we think often of forgiveness as being necessary for the other person, it's really not. This is uh, the forgiveness part is a one-person thing. We're going to talk about in a second the difference between forgiveness and grace. But time and time again, we hear God's word tell us to forgive as we've been forgiven. At one point it says, forgive so that God will forgive you. If you choose not to forgive, it says, God will not forgive you. That's tough. Because there are some people, y'all, who have just pissed me off to to no end. They've hurt me to no end. And I just don't want to, you know? Like, I I don't want to forgive you. I want to hold a grudge against you. And then, and, and, you know, I just picture Jesus being like for real (laughs) you want to play that game no I don't I don't want to play that game I don't but forgiveness is an active mindset of a Christ follower the active mindset that you're going to release the other person from the wrongdoing against you again it's not tough I mean it's it's not easy is it that's tough uh but it's necessary Lewis uh, Smeads, you, you might have seen this on Facebook somewhere or a quote somewhere, but in his book he writes, he says, To forgive is to set a, person, a prisoner free just to discover that that prisoner was you. There are two roles to forgiveness, right? The two roles to forgiveness, and sometimes I think we just get the one person, the one role. And the one role is the one who grants the forgiveness, Right? I forgive you. That's what we think oftentimes when we talk about forgiveness. Have you ever asked your spouse to forgive you? To say, whatever, boo, bae, babe, honey, whatever you call them, and say, will you, will you forgive me? Now again, remember, it's awful prideful of us to think that they will immediately forgive us. But it's worth the question, right? And maybe that, maybe that question, will you forgive me, deserves to be up on this line, the line from, for, uh, from confession to forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Hey, here's the thing is if uh, your spouse hurts you or sins against you or just sins in general and you haven't forgiven them, there is gr- there's a grudge, there is bitterness in your marriage. And if that's the case, Satan's like got one foot in. Uh, and here's the thing, you got to make up your mind right now. If you're a Christ follower, call yourself a Christian, however you want to phrase it. And you are in a marriage where your, your spouse is a Christ follower. Man, you got to make up your mind that you will not let Satan win a day in your marriage. Can you say that in your mind? You don't need to say it out loud, but Satan will not win a day, not a day in your marriage. Here's the work that has to happen from forgiveness to, uh, to uh, compassionate grace. Um, first of all, it's personal reflection. Because remember, forgiveness is me. I can decide right now to forgive you regardless of your response. I don't need you to give you forgiveness. See what I'm saying? And so, this this line right here, that's all personal. Personal reflection is the first thing. We call this one radical forgiveness. Uh, We love, one, we love ours at Restore. I think it's the most holy letter. Also, most menacing of sounds. Radical. Restore. and Relentless. And Roger. And radical. But think about this. If you're in your personal reflection, think about the depth of, 
of hurt you've caused Jesus. The Bible says that it's, it's our sin that held Jesus to the cross. I mean, it can't get deeper than that. But yet he chose to forgive you. Regardless if you've accepted it or not, he says you're forgiven. You remember when he's on the cross? One of the things he says, seven things, one of the things he says uh, to, to God, he says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Man, that's pretty radical, right? That's pretty extreme. And it might be that you need to make up your mind to have that kind of forgiveness in your marriage. The second thing is personal worship. And you got to spend time with God. If you want to understand the depth of your, your sin, then you need to understand who it is you're sinning against. Uh, so spend some time in worship. Now, worship doesn't always mean music. It can, and if that's the way you like to worship, follow Restore Church on Spotify. And you can see all the songs we've sang for the last four months. Uh, you can listen to our, our worship playlist. Um, YouTube is a good worship leader. Um, but if it's not, maybe it's nature. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's hunting. Uh, but spend, spend some time with God. Um, the last thing is, is prayer. Is prayer. Man, I, I, prayer has this like healing solution in it, right? Like it has this calming, uh, I should say that God will calm you, give you answers. Maybe he'll give you some angst about some things that you need. But uh, to pray about the forgiveness, and I think that's where we'll understand the depth of ours. Here's the, here's the third part, uh, if you're following with me. Uh, um, clear confession, radical forgiveness, and it moves to compassionate grace. This line is not so long. If you're doing those three things, um, if you're, you're reflecting on your depth of your sin, if you're in personal worship, if you're praying regularly, the move from forgiveness to grace it's not going to be all that much hard work. I mean, when you're surrounded by the Holy Spirit and letting Him guide you, um, it reminds me of the passage in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Talking about Satan. Verse 3, all, those, uh, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath from God. Verse 4 starts with, a, with this conjunction, um, but, but because of his great love for us, not because of what we've done, or because we've earned it, or because we've gone through so many steps, or whatever class, or whatever. The reason we're not objects of God's wrath anymore, verse 4, but because of his great love for us. God, who's rich in mercy, he made us alive, took us from dead to alive, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. Uh, verse 9 uh, says, uh, verse 9, but it's not by works. It's not by anything you can do. You can't earn it. Because if it were, you would boast. I would boast. <laughs> verse 10, for where God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Have you ever thought about God's grace? Uh, there's a good definition for grace, a simple definition. It's God's unmerited favor. Billy Graham wrote about it, and this is what he said. Grace, according to the dictionary, is the unmerited favor of God toward mankind. The word grace is used over 170 times in the New Testament alone. Grace is not bought. It is a free gift of Almighty God uh, to needy mankind. When I picture Jesus Christ dying on the cross, this is Billy Graham, I see the free gift of God's grace in Christ reconciling uh, the world to himself. I sing with the songwriter, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. Your human mind, with its philosophy of an equal return for favors done, can hardly comprehend the full meaning of this grace of God. 
But when you catch, by the inspiration of God, its full meaning, you will leave the limits of human reasoning and, and revel in the spiritual riches of divine truth and privilege. Listen to this part. Billy Graham says, yes, the grace of God is a reality. Thousands have tried, tested, and proved that it is more than a cold creed, a docile doctrine, or a tedious theory. The grace of God has been tested in the crucible of human experience and has been found to be more than an equal for the problems of sin and, human, of, and, sin and humanity. God's grace for you has nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with God's love for you. So when we talk about God's unmerited favor toward you, can the same be said about you for your spouse in your marriage? Are you extending grace that doesn't make sense to your spouse? Their unmer your unmerited favor for them. Like, can people look at you and say, man, the way that she loves him, it doesn't make sense. The way that he cares for her, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of us have looked across the room every now and then and said, man, I, I, I don't deserve this. Here's what's the difference between forgiveness and, and grace. I really wrestled with this this week about what the difference is. Because uh, I was like, well, maybe this just needs to be three parts, right? Forgiveness and grace are the same. What I came to realize is, one, we talked about forgiveness being in you, has nothing to do with the other person. Grace is their acceptance of it. But grace is where reconciliation happens. So if you're looking in this circle for, so maybe like you got some division here, and then we're starting to move around. Grace is where the reconciliation between the two of you happen. And so that's where the gospel starts to get lived out in your marriage. That's when start, things start to cycle back to normal, uh, or whatever normal used to be, or maybe it's a new normal. Here's what grace doesn't mean. Grace does not mean forgetting. Although God takes our sin and he throws them to the bottom of the sea, right? Us forgetting, uh, putting ourselves in the same position again, uh, that's what grace doesn't mean. Grace does not mean escaping consequences. Sometimes the hurt and the sin is too deep, but the grace is still there. What grace does not mean is that, is, is a mop. Is, uh, my dad used to tell me that Jesus is not your mop. Meaning you go out, live it up, and then you come back with grace and just clean it up, right? Ring it out and do it all over again. Um, and maybe that needs to be your sermon right there. You party hard all week, forget about Jesus, and then come to church, just mop it up. That's not the way it works. And it's not the way it works in your marriage, and that's not what grace means. And so you can't keep coming back to your spouse uh, after you, if you hurt them regularly and then say, well, the preacher said the next one is forgiveness and you have to do that. And then you say, well, he also told me that I need time and space. And if you don't get out of here, I'm going to get both of them real quick. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, but you, you don't just keep coming back to grace and saying, well, let's clean it all up and start over. Here's what grace does mean. Gr grudges are poison. In your marriage, grudges are poison. They will lead to bitterness. Bitterness will lead to rage, and uh, that's gross. Okay, You can't have grudges in your marriage. And if you do have a grudge against your spouse, you need to come back here and talk about it. So uh, you can't have grudges, and uh, what, it does mean, uh, what grace does mean is you don't hold that sin over them. Um, oh, yeah, we'll remember that one time. Uh, it's not a bargaining chip to continue to, to win, right? And so here's the plan. If we're going to move from compassionate grace to, uh, to a fused faith, here's what we need to do. Here's the work. We need to live out the plan that we put uh, in that first line of work. Start to live out. Start to take steps to what it means uh, to, to building your faith again. If grace has been extended, uh, James will tell us that uh, our faith without proof or works, is dead. 
If you don't have a faith that people that, that is producing, it's useless. You're a hypocrite. And so if you get to a point of grace and then you just keep coming back to this, it's useless. So we have to start living out the plan that we put together in this line. we got to live it out. Uh, live out your plan. Uh, it's in this step that our spiritual habits are formed. So we start to, in, in forgiveness, the person that's forgiving us, they're, they're uh, thinking about God, the depth of their sin, they're in their person, uh, you know, personal worship. It's in this line where our spiritual habits develop, whatever that means for you. For some of you, it's, it's regularly reading your Bible. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe your first baby step is just regularly being here. You'll know the longer you stick around with Restore Church. Our goal is not to grow a big church. Uh, so we, we love you and we want you to be here because there's benefit in being with, with a group of people like this and worshiping and hearing from God's word. Um, and, and maybe that's your next step. That's a spiritual habit you can form. Maybe, maybe you've been doing church, reading your Bible, worshiping, praying. Maybe your next step is fasting. Like There are spiritual habits to be developed. Um, maybe it's reading the Bible together praying together. Maybe it's waking up early and while your spouse is still sleeping, uh, praying for them, reading scripture over them, reading God's promises for them, um, whatever it is, their spiritual habits to be, to be developed. And then here's the third one. This is where you together live free. You've done it. Like you have worked through something and that's a big deal. Because most spouses just fight and fight and fight and fight. And it's like, I'm getting better over here in this corner. All I do is win, 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 no matter what, you know. And you lose all the time. All, all we do is fight or all we do is flee. And nothing ever gets resolved and no one's getting better together. We're just getting weaker and weaker apart or weaker and weaker as we, we fight against each other. So look, there's something. There are moments in your Christian walk where you have to stand up and say, I'm doing it. Like, I'm becoming a better Christ follower. This is nice. I, I'm, I'm, like, loving the way that Jesus did. It hurts, but it's nice. There are times when we're starting our church, uh, when we're starting to restore. Uh, we're not two years old yet, so if you're with us, we're about a year and a half old. Um, and so I, I still think, man, I look around sometimes, and I'm like, dude, when I read the book of Acts, we're doing it. Oh, man, it gives me chills to think about even though I'm sweating because this hoodie's a little hotter than I thought. So there are times in your Christian life where you look at each other and say, we're doing it. Like we're living out the freedom that Jesus has given us to forgive and to move on with each other. I'm so glad that God doesn't tell us in our marriages when someone sins against us to hold it over their head. I'd be screwed. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so uh, you live these out and it'll lead us to uh, the last thing, uh, a fused faith. Remember, we're on the same team. You and your spouse are on the same team. You're fighting against issues together. Even if it's my sin, my spouse is on my team. Even if it's her sin, I'm with her, not against her. I'm not trying to prove that I'm right or put shame and guilt on her. We're in this together, and it builds a fused faith. We studied this uh, this past week in my life group. Uh, I have, uh, there's two life groups, one on Sunday and one Wednesday, and our Wednesday night group is going through James, and we read these verses. I'm going to read verse 2 before we get to verse 3. Verse 2 says this, listen, this is a tough one. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> uh, how about I just complain and uh, post on Facebook uh, with a vague status so people ask me, oh, what's wrong? I, uh, what the Bible says is say, oh, this sucks, but I'm considering this joy because you know that this testing of your faith that you're in, it produces perseverance and a better marriage. Verse four, and let perseverance finish his work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Apply this to your home. Apply this to the relationship you have with your spouse. Fight through it. And while you're fighting through it, and it sucks, and you're at uh, uh, step one, you say, man, 
I'm really angry. But I know that this will produce perseverance. And one day, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe in a week or maybe in a month or maybe it's a year, that we will become more mature and more complete, not lacking anything in our marriage because we went through the trial together. And you look back and you think, man, uh, God did it. God did it. Um, uh, I want to, uh, Michael, will you throw up that graphic of the circles, of the circle again? <clears throat> if we were to, to, to this, this line right here, it's probably the most work. This one is probably the hardest. I would, I would imagine this one's the most gratifying. Um, this one has the most freedom, but I, I think if, like if we were to redo this or put it on the you know, like cover of a book or something or, or something for you to study, this one would be thicker because this one is harder because this one's every day. This one is putting in the work to make this normal. See what I mean? The reason that you're so uncomfortable right now when you think about this, I know, I know you are. <laughs> you were like leaning into your spouse, like, oh, we're here for the marriage series. Now you're like leaning on opposites, like, uh-uh, you confess first. <laughs> um, the reason that it's so uncomfortable is because we never do it. And we're not in the habit of it. I, I'm just, I'll just tell you, we're not. This is new to us. We're not in the habit of confessing, of confessing sin. Uh, we're in a habit of dealing with it. Right or like arguing about it, fighting about it, whatever, however you want to call it, uh, and then you get through it. But it it's not normal, and it's uncomfortable, and it causes you to, to to put your defenses up. Right? What if you created on through this line an environment where that's normal, an environment where you look forward to these moments? Because you know that this trial will produce faith and the faith will produce perseverance or this trial will produce perseverance and this perseverance will produce maturity and the maturity will, will grow to completion, right? Not lacking in anything. You look forward to this. What if? Well, there's work to be done. And here's, here's the hard work. Some of it should be enjoyable, uh, but some of it will be tough. Um, before we talk about that, I, I want to tell you what, what I don't expect, okay? Um, guys, men, I challenged you pretty hard last week. I'm surprised you're back. I'm glad you're back. Um, <clears throat> don't change who you are, but don't use that as an excuse to not get better in your marriage. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, well, um, you know, God's Word said that I should be leading you spiritually, but that's not who I am. But what I, so what I'm not trying to say is uh, for your fused faith, that's not waking up at 6 a.m. as the sun rises and singing Kumbaya. It could be, and maybe that's how you and, and your spouse like vibe, um, not in a weird way, but uh, in a spiritual way, but it might not be. Um, but what it does mean um, is that th this is the goal of being together, having a unified faith, striving together to work toward a common goal. This is where our common mission enters. This is where we're step by step. This is when we're rolling. But here's the thing about momentum in marriage. I don't know if that exists, but I just came up with it. And they both start with M's. Uh, momentum in marriage, it, it's great when you have it. Am I right? I mean, it's the best. When you lose it, you've got to work to get it back. You don't drift. This will be the sermon next week. You can't drift into intimacy. You have to work for it. You have to earn it together. So this is our plug again, parents. Next week we're going to talk about sex. So if you have a middle school-ish middle school student and you don't want them to hear it, we're going to create some extra room in the village. Uh, if you have a student back there, probably fourth, fifth grade, that's probably appropriate, and you want them to hear a biblical viewpoint of marriage, we'd love to have them in here. I'd love for them to hear it in here instead of on the bus or at school. Um, so anyway, uh, 
seeking one another, right? This, this, is, this is the goal. I could talk about this all day, and I will next week. Um, so here's, here's what I am saying. You should be having uh, spiritual conversations together. And that might be intimidating, but it can be as simple as, um, man, what are, you, what are you reading in the Bible? What's God saying to you? Is there something I can pray for you for? I mean, those, those are just simple conversations. Let the kids go. Unpopular opinion, your relationship with your spouse is more important than your relationship with your children. Because in 18 years, they're gone. Then what? Or 20 years. 18 if you're lucky. 20 years. 20 years, they're out of the house. You going to have anything left? Invest in it now, right? Um, so uh, here's what we're going to do. Here's the work for the last one, and then we'll, we'll finish. We'll be finished. Here's the work. The first one is create a culture of communication. Put down your stupid phone. Here's the problem with our culture. Uh, there's a lot. And <laughs> Tamarine's still here. Here's the, here's the problem with, with our culture and our generation. Uh, there's, there are many, but here's the biggest one. We cannot, and I'm including myself in this, we cannot give 100% of ourselves to one conversation. We just don't. And it's technology's fault, right? I mean, think about your browser when you're working. If you're a millennial, think about your browser when you're working. you got four tabs open and one of them is Facebook. Think about, um, think about this. All right. Your, your spouse is trying to tell you something. Like, it, it can be anything. It can be the... the uh, not dumbest thing, because everything they say is valuable, right? But uh, it could be the, the most menial thing. She's telling you about something that happened in line at the grocery store. And then your phone beeps. Oh, hey, look, I'm leading by example because I don't have my phone on me. Uh, your phone beeps, and uh, you pull it out. And, you, and, and they're still talking. And you look at it. And then you put it back down, and then you look up. Here's what you just did. You just left your wife or your spouse, the conversation you're in with them, to look at another one, even if it's just to look down. What did you just communicate to your spouse? What you're saying is not important. So we got wise, right? And then we got Apple Watches. Those of you with Apple Watches, you're not fooling anybody, okay? You're just like this. Oh, <laughs> right? Like, we're, we're not tricking anybody. And it's even worse when you're at home, you got a TV on, right? Your kids, your kids are pulling at you. Like, you have got to protect a culture of communication in your home. Look, y'all, I'm not that important. And my kids are cute, but they're not that cute. You need to spend time with your spouse and not looking at stuff everybody else is doing on Facebook. Here, here's an unpopular opinion. Carve some time out in your schedule to look at your phone. Spend the rest of it not doing anything but sitting with your family and your spouse. Husbands, promise me you'll take the lead on this. When you get home, take the lead on it. Uh, or don't, but you should. Okay, second thing. Uh, schedule dates. I know, it's tough. Schedule a date. Uh, when you leave this afternoon you get home, here's your homework. Schedule a date before next Sunday. Oh, we got so many things going on. Okay, keep making excuses or get better. Uh, I work a lot. Okay, uh, I, got, I got something going on every night. Well, may, find something. But create a date and do it regularly. I'm guilty, okay? I'm guilty of this um, because I just get home and I'm like, man, I'm tired. Or I think about babysitters, and I'm like, man, that's, that's kind of expensive. That's $20 on top of the money we're about to spend, you know. Um, but schedule, schedule dates. Stop making excuses. Date your spouse. Hashtag date your spouse. Hashtag contenders. All right, here's the third one. Um, limit your distractions. Uh, we just talked about that. Um, celebrate. Um, next week, we're talking about sex. That's a great way to celebrate. Not trying to be weird, but that's how it rolls. Um, but celebrate. Here's the, here's, here's the thing. Can you put that graphic back up? Go through this. Even if it's a little thing. You go through this, y'all, you've done something. 
You have gotten better together, even if it's a little thing. Celebrate. Whatever that means to you. Uh, for you, it might, it might mean, um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get into that. But celebrate uh, t- together. High five, right? Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, shoot fireworks. I don't care, <laughs> but celebrate. It's something, right? Like, there's something that you've done. Here's what I want you to see. You do this, your marriage will get better tomorrow. And uh, each week, we're going to talk about things you can do in your marriage to make it better tomorrow. Last week, did you ask the questions to your spouse? Uh, how can I serve you better? How can I love you better? Did you, did you ask those questions? Um, you, you should. Go back to that. But uh, So those are things you did last week. This is something you can do this week and hopefully for the rest of your life. But I, w- I want you to take a moment and just think about what it means to accept Jesus. For Jesus to be your leader. For Jesus to be your Savior. You know what it takes? It takes saying, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And man, I mess up all the time. And it takes Jesus saying, look, I'm going to forgive you. All the time, every time. Now for some of us, we haven't accepted that yet. We're too stubborn to move past this one. But Jesus is saying, look... I know that you're a sinner, and I'm going to forgive you anyway, anytime and every time. And I proved it by dying on the cross for you. Will you love me back? Maybe it's in here that you need to ask, God, will you forgive me? His answer is yes. And he says, I, I died on the cross. I gave my, I gave my life for you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Will you live like it? And build your faith and live your life as a Christ follower uh, so that when you sin again, you come back to the cross of Jesus where he says you're forgiven. Example of my grace. There's your faith. This is a great way to live out the gospel in your marriage. But right now, it's a great way for you to think about your relationship with Jesus. That last thing that we talked about, uh, celebration, it's something we do here at Restore Church every week. We're going to go into communion now. Um,